Hi, and welcome to Work Life Cafe podcast. My name is Kashif, and together with Sam, we want to have a dialogue with you about life, work, and how to thrive in our always connected world. Work Life Cafe podcast is brought to you by Manpower Group Malaysia. And if you want to talk to us about a specific topic or would like to ask some questions, go to manpower.com.my forward slash worklifecafe. Submit your suggestions or questions there and we will gladly address them. That's manpower.com.my forward slash worklifecafe. Today we are pondering how is technology shaping our lives? And our guest is joining us all the way from Wisconsin, USA. He has over 30 years of experience in the IT space. 30 years, which quite frankly makes my job a little bit more difficult to summarize his rich journey in just a couple of sentences. He started from data entry role, but moved up the IT value chain across many industries, such as audit, consultancy, manufacturing, and engineering. He worked, for example, as information system project manager at Harley-Davidson, director of information systems at Magnitech, and this is a company that specializes in the development and manufacturing of motion control systems, which I think is really cool. He worked as a CRM director, solution architect, project manager, and many other roles and companies, which I think will take me another 15 minutes to go through in detail. But after a long journey, our guest joined Manpower Group just a couple of months ago as an IT product owner. Matthew Burback, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So our question is, is a broad question, and I think every one of us has <clears throat> either thought about it or most likely talked about it with colleagues, friends, relatives, which is how is technology changing our lives today? And given your, your experience, perhaps we can start with just a brief, a little bit about your journey, Matt. Sure. Okay. So I, I think you've kind of given a high-level summary. I know there's there's quite a few elements that are sitting in my public LinkedIn profile, but I guess from a journey perspective, uh, I couldn't have predicted which way it would have gone. I know that within the computing industry, even back in, I'll say, the, the late 80s and the early 1990s, it was anybody's guess which way things were going to go. I'd say from my perspective, again, I'm degreed from a, the business school, uh, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and from that point out, there were a lot of different paths somebody at that time could take because computing was actually taking off. So again, there was the mainframes were large into play. A lot of my uh, friends and peers were becoming programmers, things like that. But that didn't quite have an interest with me. So I actually went into an organization where I was the one of two people running an IT organization. And at that time, computers were kind of relatively new, so to speak. And then I'd say from that point forward is a lot of my background, let's just say, in different industries has been heavily, it has been historically heavily focused on manufacturing. So I owe that a little bit to my father. He was a machine designer, so there's always been an interest in manufacturing. And again, I live in the Midwestern region of the U.S., so manufacturing has been a major part of that area. So again, moving through companies such as HNTB, which is an architecture engineering planning firm, uh, then went over to a short stint with a consulting company. So when, when packaged applications became of style, CRM systems, ERP, so again, cutting my teeth, so to speak, on doing those projects, then moving to a company which was called medical advances so they actually transformed into other companies uh, and they eventually were bought by philips medical systems back in 2006. so again uh, medical device manufacturing 
If you can think of any function in a company, they had it. And that's where, for me, I've always had the most enjoyment, putting business processes into place, supported by technology. I'd say, so I'm going to accelerate the, the narrative, so to speak. And then from there, uh, I was actually living in the state of Florida with my family. We relocated back to Wisconsin. I started working with Harley-Davidson Motor Company. I worked in their product development area, focusing on implementing product lifecycle management applications. And then if I accelerate from there, there's the company you referred to, Magnatech. So again, another publicly traded company. They, in 2015, were purchased by another company called Columbus McKinnon. So I took an exit strategy there. I actually had my own startup for about one year. A vertical solution for supplier relationship management didn't really go the way I wanted to. And from there, went back into consulting because I really enjoyed consulting a lot with Sikich. And then the, those paths kind of took me along back into manufacturing with a company called Inio, which used to be uh, GE Power Systems. And then you're right, as of recent, as of late, uh, now joining Manpower again and coming back to the team. So again, welcoming the new opportunities to hopefully bring a lot of these Microsoft 365 workloads to fruition. So hopefully that was a quick summary for you. Well, I'm I'm sure again, 30 years, uh, Matt. I think it's it doesn't pay you enough credit. Just to summarize the, the whole journey in just several sentences, I'm I'm pretty sure such a rich journey would would require, I don't know, maybe a book. <laughs> a book. <laughs> well, I can say this. I've you learn from your mistakes. So. Over time, I've learned, I've written down playbooks, uh, methodologies, frameworks. So again, taking what I've learned and instead of having to reinvent, but if I can repurpose and reuse, to me, that's always been a great advantage. So it's, that's, that's where I think experience helps out because if you can take that and pass it on to others, hopefully it can help them accelerate where they're trying to go or get something to closure. So how are you seeing right now the IT world? Let's take it from, from a, again, a broad level. The highlights, what do you foresee? How our lives changed, actually, in the recent years, and how do you foresee them changing moving forward? Again, these, these are my opinions, maybe my observations. I always try to look at it as something either evolutionary or revolutionary. And I think, as of late, everything has been evolutionary. And one of the things I always caution myself when trying to, quote-unquote, reinvent the wheel is, why do that when other people have already invested their own knowledge and intellectual property into building something. So if you can kind of climb on the, sh I don't want to sound negative, it's climbing on the shoulders of others or, or using what platforms are already out there can help you accelerate. I know open source was a, a large movement that occurred, I'll just say many years ago, probably the mid to late 90s, it, it gained steam and it really helped out by getting more uh, solutions to market. But I guess from my standpoint right now is I know everything has been focused on cloud computing and if I date myself and say, well, that's kind of like a mainframe environment. Well, but again, as my father used to say, what goes around comes around. So again, it's taking the concepts that have been around. can't recall who said it, but to make something simple, you need to shift the complexity elsewhere. And what I see right now is a lot of the consumerization, a lot of the uh, different generations being able to take advantage of computers and not realizing everything is computing now. I, I can even say, I think when I started at uh, one of my prior companies, there was a slide I always showed, which was a college lecture hall. And at that time, I think a majority of the students were running MacBooks. I think it was maybe 2011. And the slide I would always put up when presenting to senior management was, this is the future workforce. We need to be ready for it. We can't have a green screen ERP system. We need modern technology that attracts the younger talent to really be able to accelerate what we're trying to do. So push comes to shove. Here we now are in 2020. And obviously, a lot of us are working remote. and 
there it is. That paradigm is it. Everybody has a computer. It's always in front of you. It's omnipresent. My favorite term is it's ubiquitous. Whatever we do now, computing is present. So I'd say, hopefully I'm answering your question here. There's a lot of potential, but again, everything is evolutionary right now. I've not seen certain things revolutionary, but just again, incremental builds and it keeps getting better and it makes it easy for end users to consume and use. So again, a lot, I look at things a lot real positive right now in terms of what's coming through the marketplace. One of the things that COVID has forced the world to be is, is to reinvent itself, Matt. And right. with workforces being far more remote than they ever have, what, what do you see as the future of work as we see technology being more and more pervasive? The workplace is no longer what we had expected it to be in terms of team physically being together. So what, what's your, where do you see the future of of, of this continued evolution? Oh boy, that, that's, that's a tough question. I'll, I'll see if I can answer it the best I, mm -hmm. I can perceive right now. I'd say I, if I look at all the different industries that I've been exposed to and looking at all the different work patterns and even cultures of different people from different countries, for example, one of the companies I used to work at, INEO, their headquarters was based out of Yenbach, Austria. So again, it's, it's always interesting for me to learn different cultures and how people work and how they interact. And one of the things I've seen with the remote working is it's kind of changed the playing field, I'll say from a political perspective, with inside of a company, how people interact, where you are always used to being in face-to-face -face meetings, and sometimes maybe your personality might come into play as to how successful or how not successful you are in trying to convince something or make a play. Now, with all these tools becoming digital, I think it's really kind of changed the approach that for people that... Again, this is just one aspect of looking at it for people that weren't always the best in a social situation. And now you have these digital tools, which you're always used to. I think it kind of helps in some ways, shape or form. Um, I can speak from other people's perspectives. Like if you always had to have a physical presence manufacturing, that to me has really started to introduce, well, is there a better way to do it? How might we introduce more automation? I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to all of it, but I think the biggest thing for me is now that people are physically remote, but you're still, it's almost like the phrase digital computer, and that was an old company. They always had a phrase of, we're working together apart. And really, that's what it is right now. And one of, the, one of my favorite terms I've seen, and I think GE coined it, is the term digital twin. So for me, it's almost as if everything that you're doing today, because in the past, you always used to have that physical environment to surround you, you were always with somebody, there's now always that digital twin that's with you, no matter if it's a client, it's a product, it's a service, it's an environment, uh, anything along those lines. And I think a lot of the ways computing companies are looking at it, whether they're producing hardware or business process software, is that digital twin concept comes into play, meaning touch the data once, and how do I have that virtual entity live from start to finish? So I think one of your questions, Sam, was business process. I think what happened in the past was, we had a lot of tribal knowledge. People stored things in their head. Maybe you might, might have written down a process guide, but that's not fast anymore. That took time. So I think now with the remote tools we have, and again, my focus is on Microsoft, as you start using tools such as Microsoft Teams, it starts to bring people's presence together. You're now in one common work environment. They're introducing tools to help you say, all right, what is the type of data you wish to manage? They call that common data service. So again, define it once, touch it and let it live. And then really tying the processes together because, yes, we all sit remote, 
We're all in different transactional systems. And a lot of these platforms that Microsoft and the other vendors are putting forth connect them together. So again, we physically sit remote, but those digital twins continue to live on from a end-to-end process. Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, it is. Uh, typically teams that would have had limited interaction in the physical world are now far more connected digitally. I, I guess what most organizations are struggling with is getting that balance point between the ability to be able to connect across the world virtually and right. exchange ideas, exchange processes, and then that sort of that human touch. And, and you know, one of the things that we're preoccupied with is restricted movement order, which means we are, again, mostly working from home. And, and one of the phenomenon that not just us, but we're seeing with many of our organizations is a certain element of this remote home fatigue. So people are craving for you know, the ability to be able to work together in a, in a physical place. So from your perspective, Matt, how do you think organizations can address that, leveraging the very, very clear advantages of the interconnectivity, but at the same time sort of retaining that human touch? I guess I'll, I'll borrow a page from a lot of the vendors that how they're approaching these return to work scenarios today. It's not something I've put a lot of thought into. Uh, can been, it's been very busy. I've obviously working remote. I put more hours in and there's been an advantage. You get a better balance. In my opinion, I've, I've had a better work life balance because again, I'll, I'll use the term windshield time. Maybe that's a US term where you're in your car, maybe 30, 45 minutes going one way to your office, then you return home. But I, I'd say from that perspective is, I believe in the future there will be a balance. I, I kind of see a lot of companies, and you hear announcements coming out publicly all the time that they're they're delaying the return to work or they're modifying the environments to help. I, I see things in some ways returning to normal. I know the term now is called new normal, but mm. I, boy, I, I really don't think I've got a good answer to this, except from my view is you're going to have a mixture of it, and I think it's going to be based on the company's culture. And I think it's going to be based on how each individual, uh, how they work and how that individual's manager might uh, look at the team to say, okay, are they self-sufficient? Can they work independently? Do they need to work Mm -hmm. together? I think there will be different use cases and situations, whereas before it was all in, everybody was at the office and then by hope, by some hope or miracle, everybody's personality would get along. I think now with these remote tools, it has really challenged people to maybe reinvent themselves and how they interact with others. So that my thought is it, it will be a hybrid. And that's, and that's what my hope is as well. I, I do actually inter- miss interacting with people physically because, again, you get a different dynamic. Uh, you, you might get a different level of excitement of when you're working on a new project or deliverable to really bring things together. But again, I think there's a balance to it, and I think there's a lot of goodness in that. I think you touched on a great point there, Matt, with regards to the managers or you know, we see that as the sort of digital leadership of the future. So a leader who's very attuned to the technology, but yet is very sensitive to the human interaction. And it's really about that balance. It's about, you know, taking advantage of the efficiencies that you get through being connected, but at the same time, ensuring that people have that balance. Again, one of the things that we're hearing from our employees and our clients is 
interestingly enough, you know, with technology being around, there is always the perception that it's going to make our lives better and it's going to make us more efficient. In some cases, it is actually making people's ability to separate personal and work life a little bit more difficult because they're working from home, they're continuously connected. So it's that ability to be able to switch from office mode to home mode. And I I think the key challenge for leadership moving forward is, is to be able to connect on a human level with your teams to make sure that they are able to strike that balance and also to sense when people are, are, are starting to get burnout because it's very, very easy to get absorbed in, in, in work because you're so constantly connected. What's your perspective, Kashif? Well, now that Matt was talking, it crossed my mind that we are human. There are simple things that are important to me. So uh, a, real, a really small aspect that I quite miss is as simple as a handshake. A handshake, in my view, conveys a lot of information. The way the person does the handshake and having your hand shaken by somebody else is very human. I didn't have the opportunity to shake anyone's hand for several months, which is unfortunate because it conveys trust. It conveys an element of reciprocity, of friendliness, which right now we don't have. And that will never, I think, maybe at some day it will, will never happen with technology. I think no matter how advanced we will be, even if, for example, you will have probes which can mimic a human body and you can shake the hand, it will still not be as personal as when you actually physically touch the person. So that element, uh, I think, always be missing uh, from, from a technological standpoint. Nevertheless, the advantages that we are uh, lucrative uh, to have and uh, lucky to have today, let us operate in an environment where 10 years ago, we wouldn't probably be able to do. So many businesses, yes, unfortunately, went out of business. Uh, Many companies shut down. Uh, But uh, on the grand scheme of things, I believe most industries still so far persevered and people still still work businesses still move economies uh, are impacted but not as greatly as it could have been 10 years ago so matt perhaps here is uh, yes. a good time to ask you what's your advice for young people for people who are perhaps graduating high school or graduating right. college how should they look at technology and uh, even even for their studies today when you look at the advancements that are happening i think it's it's now been communicated many times that a college student in the it sector uh, in computer science when they enter to university uh, first year second year by the year four when they are graduating whatever they have learned in the first two years they would probably no longer use completely. Uh, It's already outdated. But I think that applies to many other courses as well, because the world of work is really fast-paced today. So what's your advice in terms of studies, continuous learning, as well as their relationship with technology moving forward? 
Right. Well, well, again, if, if I can borrow a phrase I used before, what goes around comes around. The same scenario that you're describing today, I, I will say from my point of view, is the same scenario I saw in my college studies. So again, I went to a typical, I went to a four-year uni- university. And again, the technology they were teaching there was behind, albeit I have a belief, and, and I've seen a lot of other universities doing this before and today, is there will be a lot of computing vendors that will partner with them to help push or encourage certain curriculums, again, to strengthen the workforce, either for their platform specifically or in general. I could date myself and say which languages they were teaching at the university, uh, but again, it was behind. So I'd say one of the things I'd pass along, and, and this is something I did for myself, and maybe I got lucky for that situation, was I did a college work program. So I was able actually to work at the university as an internship while going to school but I applied for positions that were specific to my interest, which in that day was computing. And this is when databases were starting to become more prevalent. And I was able to use not, not bleeding edge, but leading edge technology in my job while I was in college. So even though what they taught me might have been maybe five or 10 years dated, I was able to, and this was my own personal thing, I was able to find positions that I could learn and leverage and move forward at least to help my own career. So I guess if, if that's some advice for uh, either uh, high school or college students or things like that is making sure if you can find it or even volunteer your time to help companies or help individuals leverage technology using the current set, but balance it with the, what you're t- being taught. Because like I said before, it, it helps not to reinvent the wheel. And there's always some goodness in learning and established curriculum because there's logic, there's organization, there's structure, and you can kind of take those and, and move forward. Hopefully that helps a little bit. My, my other analogy is I was a business school student, so they always taught a lot of systems analysis. My brother, on the other hand, he was in the engineering school, so he was computer science. So he learned a lot of the C, C++ languages, which were popular back in that day. But again, he didn't go the route of taking positions that were encouraging of computer science. He ended up in manufacturing and operations, never to use the degree he had. So again, I think it comes down to what you have an interest in and maybe where you're able to find the right fit. I think a lot of people change their their career paths, but today I'll come to my conclusion of your question is I think computing has become so prevalent that really people don't realize it's always there. I mean, everything that you're starting to see today has become more and more connected and maybe an analogy. I think I did, um, Uh, My son had a high school class maybe two or three years ago, and they asked me to come in and speak. And I wanted some demonstration of something physical to really catch their attention. So, of course, I used the the current Apple iPhone at that time. And I said, well, this is technology and everybody knows what it is. But then out of a box, I pulled a one foot by one foot next cube. If you remember this, this was Stephen Jobs' second company. I if I look to my left, I still have my next cube over there. But I pulled it out of a box. And my, my analogy was. The Apple iPhone you're running today is the same technology that was introduced in 1988. And, and a lot of the students couldn't understand. And I said, no, it's the same operating system. It's got the same programming language. It's just that this was, this was leading edge technology back in that day. And it just, it took time to come to fruition. And now look at it. It's a successful product. It's being used by millions of people around the world. And Here's what it, it's, it's grown a very large ecosystem. So today, to me, my analogy is everything has become ubiquitous. Computing is prevalent anywhere. So if you have an interest, whether it's medical, 
if it's professional services, human resources, computing can help you get from point A to point B. And I think things have become so much more easier that any student is able to use and consume these services today. Hopefully that helped a little bit. Yes, yes, certainly. And uh, to that point, I still remember it was 2009, 2010. I borrowed my friend's iPhone 3G back then. Okay. okay. It was my first experience with an iPhone. And I can't convey the awe and amazement which I had from using it. Because okay. at, the, at the beginning, I was very, very skeptical. Other phones with touch screen, but all of them were, were funky and the screen wasn't, wasn't glass back then. If you recall, it was kind of a plastic that right. kind of moves up and down. So I had very bad experience with touch, touch screen. And here it is, a glass that works uh, like, like a charm. Uh, Angry Birds was still popular. So <laughs> I played the game and it was amazing. And now I realize that for kids today, it's something just like you're saying is, is natural. Uh, it's nothing unusual. And just thinking about it that right now, myself, yourself, and Sam are connected through a screen. Uh, it still amazes me because even when I was a child, I was watching cartoons where they had these uh, space and futuristic type of, of uh, scenarios where people talk through screens to each other across the world, across planets. For me, that was amazing. And I always, back then, asked myself, will, will this ever happen? And here we are. So the amazing aspect of human endeavor, the, the, the audacity that human nature has to evolve and develop things that might seem initially impossible uh, is something that's inspiring. And what I saw both of you nod your heads when I said the next cube before. So you do know what that is from a history standpoint. Oh, that's good. Not, yeah. Some people actually do not know that. So... <laughs> But this is the amazing thing, Matt. My nine-year-old son, you know, the iPad is an extension of, of his hand. So he is constantly operating on this. And his knowledge, the young people's ability to be able to assimilate knowledge and being digital natives, that, that for them, that's always going to be the way. I, I often worry with young people being so familiar, so reliant, almost to the exclusion of that human touch, or there is an element that's missing in terms of the ability to connect at a human level. I was wondering what your thoughts on that and what your observations on it are. Okay, I was, I was waiting for that tough question. I actually made some notes. I had to think about this. So again, I'm a parent myself. Um, my children have are a little bit older. Let's just say they're almost gone. One is 17, one is 19. Now, I will say this. Uh, I always have pushed the technology agenda because it is my interest. But what's ironic is my children do not want anything to do with technology. What I've been, what I've been able to, I'll say, it, it's not been the perfect experiment. I mean, I'll be very open here, but it's always been, they know that their father has always used technology uh, I might have two or three computers going at one point in time, but what I've found pattern-wise is they are extremely comfortable with it. So I know they've got a number of peers, a lot of their friends might be on social media, use other things, but one of the things that, again, I think I've noticed here, again, I watch for patterns is, I've always tried to use every platform, back in retrospect, I wish I probably would have learned more languages, again, uh, when I was in high school, I, I tried Spanish. Uh, when I was in college, I tried to learn Japanese. 
And I, I just didn't make the time to stick with it. And I think after college, attempted to learn French. And again, it's just like learning a programming language. So my approach, this is gonna, I'll come to my end result here, is I've typically had every computing platform, whether it's the Google platform, Google Android, Apple's got their Mac OS, iOS, uh, you've got Microsoft with Windows 10. They've obviously had a number of different things. Is, but my children are completely going away from anything technology. But every career field they're going into, they have to use and consume it. And mm. now my son is going into, uh, I'll call it like a machine design, more of a technical field. So maybe you have a, a two years associate's degree. But again, no software development. Uh, he doesn't use a computer-aided design software, but he's required to read drawings. He's required to understand and interpret. But he just uses the computer as if it's, like you say, a natural extension. So I've always tried to make computers present so they're not afraid of them and it's not a limit. And they can now sit down at any computing environment, no matter what it is, quickly pick up the user interface and be able to use and consume that system. And I think one of the things I've seen, I'm going to go positive here real quick, is knowing that they're growing up with these technologies and they're, maybe they're, the way their mind is working is getting wired that way. I've noticed they're, they're able to do more multitasking, whether there's a pro or con there, meaning they can have maybe two or three threads going at once. But I've also noticed from a visualization, uh, my son, he can look at a screen. If it's in three dimensions, he can quickly pick it up. He knows how to rotate X, Y, Z, all these different pieces. But I've also seen at the same time, they still crave that social piece of it. So again, with our current uh, health pandemic situation, I've seen that they've become saddened because they haven't been with their friends. And now that things are kind of moving in different directions, they welcome the social interaction. So to me, my wife and I have really encouraged Make sure you're always talking with your friends, whether it's online or if there's or there's times you can get together. But I've not seen from my side for it to go negative. But again, uh, my wife and I always try to take a very positive and I'll say proactive stance to make sure they're not sitting on their devices 24 seven. There is some element of I'm going to don't laugh at this. We still attempt to sit down as a family and eat dinner together. Devices are off. Things yeah. are away. So, again, it, I, I hate to say this, but. I think everything comes down to parenting and how you approach it. It's my, my style is not perfect, but so far I think it's working. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. I guess I'll have to report back in maybe in 10 years. I don't know. I, I guess one of the challenges for all of us as we have younger and younger generations coming through is their interaction with technology becomes a little bit more different. I, I think when I think about my age, when I came to technology very, very late, for, for me, it was a curiosity. It was an interesting thing for my children. Uh, and they're a, a bit younger than yours. It's as you've said on a number of occasions, it's ubiqu ubiquitous to the point where it is almost pervasive in their life is that everything is technology and, and, and the element of it that I find fascinating is the implications of social media on human behavior. I think we're all to a greater or lesser extent impacted by it. But what was interesting is, and it was, it was funny that you mentioned it about the, you know, the concept of sitting together as a family and having dinner, which is something that we've deliberately practiced over a period of time because when we're working or when we're doing it, everybody's doing their own thing. One time when we get together as a family, but what was interesting is, is 90% of the conversation 
revolved around information coming from social media. And again, I, I lived most of my young life in a very small part of the UK, very rural area, where to this day, when I go home back to where I live in, uh, in England, everybody knows everybody. So, you know, your news was pretty much built around the local social network, which is usually the village pub. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's in everybody's business. Now the village has become more global. But the only thing is, is the validation of the information is becoming different because people live their lives very openly on social media. But how much of that is real versus projection? I mean, Kashif, is this something that you live day in, day out in your role within Manpower Group? What are your views on it? Well, I think I, I want to couple that with what Matt was saying, the digital twin, um, or right now it's avatars. Many young people, from what I see, having um, kind of an emotional challenge in terms of their projection, as you've mentioned, how they project themselves on social media versus their reality versus their real world. And uh, an important element I noticed that I talked with my wife about it. When you browse uh, Instagram, what emotions does it provoke? When you're seeing photos of friends, uh, when you're seeing photos of, of uh, people you or acquaintances, what emotions does it provoke? And in many cases, uh, unfortunately, it's our human nature. In many cases, it provokes negative emotions. It provokes jealousy. That entices many young people to do, perhaps not realizing it, they want to project the same, what they're seeing on Instagram themselves as well. They want to project success, rich, uh, or they use the term flexing uh, consistently. So in that regard, I think it is parenting is very, very important uh, to explain to the, to, to the young person what is actually that you're seeing on social media? How do you decipher things? What is good and what is bad? Again, good and bad is subjective. Uh, but getting the young person to realize what, what are they seeing, I think, is, is very, very important. I also wanted to ask, given the, again, the rapid technological changes, Matt and Sam, people are constantly required to upskill. People are constantly required to learn new things, to adapt to the changes, to the new technological developments. So even take something as simple as Microsoft Office. Five years ago, it was one thing. Today is a different thing. So you, you need to learn how to use new, new tools in it. So for some people, wouldn't you think it at the end of the day, it will become kind of a burnout, consistently learning on, on, on a day-to-day -day basis uh, compared to, let's say, again, 20, 30 years ago, or even let's take it further, 100 or 200 years ago, if you're a farmer, you're a farmer. If you're a blacksmith, you're a blacksmith, and that's it, you're settled. You don't have that consistent uh, emotional, psychological pressure to upskill, upgrade, upskill, upgrade nonstop. What are your takes on this? Sam, if you want to go go first, Sam, I've got a thought here because it's always been a struggle with me. But if if you'd like to chime in, please do so. It's um, because again, I'm I'm of a generation where, you know, I'm a I'm a chemical engineer, and when I when I graduated, the expectation is is you go and join an organization which invested in your personal development, and that was pretty much it. You know, uh, you would 
spend your life maybe with one or two companies and that would it that would be it, you would retire even within that role whilst you would be expanding your horizons and you would learn and you would develop but i, I think the rate of development has become much much faster the cycles of innovations have compressed so to be able to keep up it's almost a case of keeping up with the joneses is you need to make sure that you are as up to date as the next person and maybe more so to some extent i can understand where kashif is coming from on you know the the potential for burnout and it's learning just it, it almost becomes a thing within itself but on on the other hand of it through nothing work related i've become more and more knowledgeable about certain things you know whether it's dietary whether it's regarding to sports training etc that i would normally not have been exposed to in my previous life as 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 it would have been defined prior to so much interaction with technology so i guess it's like everything else it's a case of being able to balance these two things and taking the positives out of it the one thing just to go back to our previous topic and this is where parenthood becomes so important and instilling these values in your children at an early age is being able to make educated and and balanced decisions about what you're seeing whether it's on social media whether it's through influences of whether this is the right thing for you and whether it's real or not i mean one of the things that i find very very interesting i listen an awful lot to joe rogan's podcasts and he was talking about his 12 year old daughter taking a picture of him and and you can accuse rogan of many many things but not a good looking woman but she turned his picture into through the magic of these applications into a, a very attractive woman so when you can manipulate images in such a way and when you can manipulate news and information in the way that it is in social media today it becomes extremely important to give your children and 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 the people in your network some sense of balance that you know if you get hate mail from twitter or anything else it's not the end of the world and what's interesting is is in asia we're seeing more and more cases where the negative impact of these social media has had some dire consequences on on young people who have just been brought up with the digital world being entirely their world so so this it to, to me i think this requires an awful lot of balance an awful lot of of perspective regardless of what the age is so let's see uh, i i guess i could actually if i can add maybe to the prior question then i think it cuz if if i come to the current question so one of the other things i'll add from a parenting side is again with the balance of what you talk about social media and all these different news streams and in it's always incoming data quite a bit of the time is how can i say it? i'm going to try and say this the right way it's not that i we've tried to teach our children how to how to think but how to use your own mechanism to look at the different perspectives and again i really reiterate this with my son is everybody is going to have an opinion everyone's going to have a point of view but if you if you can work to build your mindset to take the stance that respect what other people's are, are saying what respect respect what other people are thinking that can help you kind of bring that balanced view to everything instead of just accepting and reading and seeing what you have i mean there's mm. so many, you're right there's so many different sources of information again our goal is and they say it's a goal i don't know if we've achieved it is make our children their own independent thinkers but 
be able to accept all the different inputs and then hopefully come to a, I'm going to say this, a kind, logical, um, empathetic type of conclusion, so to speak. I mean, it's try to have that well-rounded approach and everything. And I know that's very hard to teach to a young mind. I mean, if I re rewind myself, I, I really can't, I can't really remember what some of the thought processes there were back then, but now today, again, you mature over time, you see different patterns, you learn different things. So it's, I think it's all coming, maybe it's in the eye of whoever's looking at it. So I, it's never a perfect answer to me. It's kind of an ebb and flow, so to speak. Thank you. And, and here I remember the saying from Plato or another Greek philosopher, I can't recall, uh, but what he said is something along the lines that it is a sign of an intelligent mind um, to take a thought, play with it in your head without accepting it. So I, I think as a parent, it is important to develop uh, or to teach your kid to have a filtering system, a filtering mechanism uh, of taking something in, thinking about it, uh, respecting whoever said it, regardless of who, who that is. And at the end of the day, having a mechanism where that information gets filtered. I think first is whether it is true or not, whether it is fake or not. And then whether that is aligned with your morals, ethics, learnings, um, and perspectives in life. Because, again, coming back to parenting, today it is so easy when, you're, when your kid is crying or your kid is misbehaving, just throw an iPad, give them a phone just to shut them up. So it's so easy to do then and get on with your day. But you, you don't really know what's going on in that child's mind or what are they doing what are they browsing what what type of information they are being fed and they're like a sponge right they absorb all the information and unless there is that filtering mechanism they will take it for granted one of your other questions was and sam i think you addressed it was with the the amount of change going on with it right now and all the different technology i will say i don't want to say since the invention of the agile methodology it it's just I would have to say it has become such a rapid state of innovation. I think it has made it very challenging, both for IT professionals and people that are in specific uh, lines of business or functions to stay up with technology. So it's, I mean, it's something I'll admit, you could sit on a Twitter feed on a daily basis with all the different vendors that you're following. And you're, my, here's the thing, you're constantly reading what they're doing and what's new. And all of a sudden you discover, well, I'm not doing anything with it because I'm constantly reading to keep up with what's changing. So it's it's that balance. And again, if I, if, if I date myself, it, if I'll just say back in the day, so to speak, you can go in different waves. I mean, if you were to look at the 1980s, you had you had Commodore, you had Atari, you had Apple, you had a you had Zenith, you had Sinclair, I think you had Acorn. I mean, around the globe, there were so many different computer companies. Then the 90s, it became somewhat the same thing you had sun you had apple digital hewlett-packard and again things just everything consolidate and it happens again so now we have all these competing cloud vendors there's vendors that have it all such as microsoft or google then you've got these peer plays such as maybe like zoom or uh the different cloud drives or all the all these different platforms so i still have not found the solution yet and how to keep up but it's it's almost to the point now where my approach to looking at something is what is the what is the requirement what's the use case and where to find the best technology that can fit it from a financial perspective from a sustainability perspective 
from what knowledge might be in the marketplace or how adaptable it might be to a user from a user experience. So, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at things, but um, I do not have the answer yet on how to keep up with all the technology. But it's for me, my, my personality, it can be very exciting, but it's sometimes it, it will drain you. You get overwhelmed. You just need a break. I need to go outside. I need to look at the clouds or maybe take the dog for a walk or go for a drive or something. But it's, it's, I think it's all in each person's personality, how they balance it. But I'll say this to bring it all together. So now working remote and knowing you've got all these five generations in the workplace in a positive way, I've seen this as a good thing because now people you've never worked with before in different countries, speaking different languages around the globe, because you're so comfortable with these social media platforms, you're not afraid to reach out to somebody. You're not afraid to share with them because you're not physically with them. And at the same time, my other view is, I mean, for example, there's two gentlemen in uh, Manpower Peru. I happened to come across them when I started at Manpower and I sent them an email like, can you share what you're doing? And they demonstrated these Microsoft Power apps they're building. So now on a, on a periodic basis, I reach out, what's new, what are you working on? They're sharing things, but I'd never physically met them. I use the the capabilities within manpower to network and connect with them. And now we have a dialogue going and, and my request to them is, can you share what you've built with other peers around the globe? Because maybe your ideas they can take and leverage. So again, I'm putting a lot of positive on it because I see that and that that's my choice of direction. Hopefully that helps a little bit. I think you're absolutely right, Matt. You know, there are always two sides of the coin and it depends on your personal disposition, which you see. There is no question technology has given us far more than it has taken away. I think the key issue is that one's own values, one's own moral compass to be able to guide you through that myriad, because there's no question now there is more information flying at you from all sources and all of directions. And you have to have, I like, I like the expression that uh, Kashif used, and that's about a filter especially when you have so much information coming from social media, it's important to filter that and contextualize that with your own values and your own needs. And again, the beauty of it is now more than ever, we have far more choices about how we interconnect, how we collaborate, whether it's work or whether it's on a personal basis, because with the, the physical interaction being limited, the virtual one is limitless at this point in time. So there's there is always that upside. And I guess as with anything human, you have to have that sort of balance between, you know, the good and the bad, what's, you know, what's important and what's not. And the temptation of being like a child in a candy store of trying to keep up with all of these different technologies could, you know, could take away from being able to focus on the things that you need and the things that will empower your people and your business. And I guess that's really the, the, the key thing that we've all been sort of grappling with in terms of what's important, what can we use, the, the need to have versus the, the, the nice to have. But certainly from somebody who's, you know, in the older working generation, for me, this has been absolutely revolutionary when I think about what work was like when I started work many, many years ago to what it's like today. I think it's more exciting than it's than it's ever been and will continue to be. For your credit, Sam, although you're perhaps from the earlier generation, you've always pushed the boundaries here in Malaysia. So thank you for that. Thank you for 
keeping up and, and staying up to date and, and challenging us all the time, stretching our capabilities, stretching our technological learnings and applications. So kudos for that. One of the things I've been very fortunate in is, is I've been able to work all over the world and pick up bits and pieces from various cultures. And there is one expression that I learned when I used to work in Singapore. It's called kiasu. Kiasu is a, it's, it's the fear of losing out. So it's, t- you know, it's almost like the keeping up with the Joneses. And one of the things that I've become, I guess, in my older age, I've become more and more kiasu. So it's a case of trying to keep up so that I don't get left behind. So whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not sure, but uh, it's certainly kept me going in terms of keeping relevant. And, and of course, you know, one of the great things I always say is, is when you have children, there is, a, there is a way of keeping you current, because if you're not, they're going to tell you pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. So one good thing about technology just crossed my mind is, uh, look, today, I mean, again, 20, 30 years ago, whatever your parents tell you is kind of a law. Today, you can go to your phone, Google search and fact check whatever your parents are telling you. <laughs> that's very true. That happened to me a few days ago when my daughter came up with a word. I said, that's not a word. <laughs> there it is all right so on that note thank you very much uh, sam and matt uh i really appreciate that you guys gave your time matt thank you so much for joining us all the way from us at such a late hour and i would like to thank everybody who's tuning in to our episode today i hope you guys enjoyed it if you have any questions go to manpower.com.my forward slash cafe Send them over to us and we will gladly address them. Stay safe and we'll talk to you next time.